Welcome to Women Worth Knowing, the new title for the podcast hosted by Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. Women Worth Knowing is not affiliated, associated, authorized, endorsed by, or in any way officially connected with the website Women You Should Know. Welcome to this podcast of Women You Should Know. Mm. I'm in studio with Jasmine Allnett, and I'm Cheryl Broderson, and we're here bringing you the stories of women that have impacted our life. Mm-hmm. Well, Jasmine and I love to read stories of women. Why? I don't know. What's, what is it? There's two things. I remember a friend of mine once saying it's because it makes her feel like a wimp. Yet yeah, none totally. of the things Absolutely. that you're going through seem as dangerous or hazardous mm-hmm. or sacrificial Mm -hmm. as what so many of these women did and accomplished Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and just their accomplishments for Jesus. So I love that. That's a good summary. Isn't it? It just makes you feel like a wimp. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it also inspires you. Yes, absolutely. You know what? The Lord did this through them. He can work through me. So I've got this idea before I go into the woman I want to talk to today. Mm. I was thinking that our listeners probably have someone in their life Mm that they think others should know about. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about some of the unremarkable or unknown women in my own life that have really inspired me. Mm -hmm. One being my Aunt EC, you know, even my mother and my mom. (laughs) Exactly, your mother, definitely. Uh, Sue McBrien. Yes. And I was thinking it would be so great if those who are listening to this would maybe write a paper, you know, email it to us Mm -hmm. about women that, have really impacted their life and we could tell their story. So if they would write a little bit of this story out, yeah. I'd love to read some of those yes. on on a future podcast. Yes, we'll take a whole episode. Why That's not? right. Yeah. Because, you know, some of the women, most of the women that we're talking about aren't living. You know, we've got right. some in the future that Jenny we want Mid- to talk well, about. Well, no, she just, yeah, that's right. No, right, Jenny Mitchell. Oh, we'll talk about Elizabeth Elliot yeah. one day. But most of the women that we're going to talk about mm. are in heaven with the Lord. Yes, yeah, But there are true. some that in later broadcasts we'll talk about that are still alive. Mm. But it would be great mm. if some of these women were still living mm-hmm. and we could just honor them on this podcast. Yes. We have a, a Facebook that's starting Women You Should Know. We'd love for you to check it out and to send us those stories. Yes. And then we know, one, you're listening, two, <laughs> you're enjoying, and three, that you've got someone in your life that's ministered to you. Or maybe if there's a missionary or another woman in history whose mm-hmm. story you really love, tell us why. Yes. Tell us why. Tell us who that is and why. And maybe if you have a suggestion of someone for us to talk about on a future episode, we would love that too. Yes. So Jasmine, Definitely. today I'm going to talk about Isabel Kuhn. Ooh. And so she's great. Yes. Isabel Kuhn's one of both of our favorites. She was born in 1901. She was a prolific writer. And yes. I think I've read everything that she wrote. I brought, let's yeah, see, you one, two, three, there. four, five, six, <laughs> seven, eight, nine, ten, ten books. Oh my gosh. Really? That wow. she wrote. That's, yeah. And there's she's... actually, actually, I think she only authored five or six books. But the rest are taken from her missionary letters later. Oh, right, put right, right. together yeah. or from her journals. Right. So she was a prolific journaler. Mm-hmm. I mean, she started mm-hmm. when she was a young girl and she started just keeping a journal. And it's great because that means they're still in print. That's so right. So people can find them easily. <laughs> That's right. So she was born in 1901 in Toronto, Canada. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, her father Samuel was born in Liverpool. Mm. And his father was a Presbyterian pastor in Liverpool. And they had a ministry to the wives of seafaring men who had 
who died. Mm. So it was for widows. And they would take care of them. But then the family moved to Canada when Samuel was a child. His father bought a farm, and he continued to preach for the Presbyterian Church. Now, Samuel, as a boy, had aspirations of going to China as a missionary. And he was even accepted into a certain missionary organization. Mm. And he was all ready to set sail on the ship when the voyage was canceled. And he took that as a sign from the Lord, like, well, I guess I'm not meant to be a missionary. Close door, okay. (laughs) Isn't that funny? That's all it took to dissuade him. Anyway, he ended up marrying his best friend's little sister. Her name was Alice. And Alice came from a wealthy family. Mm -hmm. But her father lost all his wealth and investments, declared bankruptcy, and died soon after. Mm -hmm. So by the time that Samuel met Alice, Alice was really impoverished. Mm. So Alice was really anxious to take Samuel's marriage proposals. Mm -hmm. So Samuel Miller changed careers, and he became what was known as electric therapeutics. Have you ever heard of that before? Actually, no, I didn't realize that about him. So he was one of the first men, he was one of the men to invent the x-ray machine. And then he... He went on the road with the x-ray machine to different hospitals, different doctors, okay, all yeah. over the northern United States. I knew he traveled States. a lot. I never yes. paid attention to his career. That's crazy. And Canada um, encouraging doctors and hospitals yeah. to use x-ray machines. Now, this is going to be really significant when you consider the end of Isabel's mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Samuel Miller then moved his family to Vancouver, Canada, across the whole continent mm-hmm. of Canada. And they were a church-going family. However, Alice Miller was very into the social yes. uh, niceties of life. Yeah. And she wanted to make sure that Isabel was schooled in all the etiquette and formalities mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. upper class. So one of the things that Isabel had was she had dance lessons oh, always yeah. and yeah. you know etiquette and all of that. Mm-hmm. So she was a very good student all through school. She was very intelligent, Isabel. And when she was a freshman in college at the University of British Columbia, she had a crisis of faith. Mm -hmm. The professor asked the whole class, does anyone here really believe in heaven or hell? (laughs) And only Isabel and one other student raised their hand. And then he mockingly said to both of them, oh, you believe because mommy and daddy told you so. Mm -hmm. That rocked her faith. Yeah, Yeah. And she realized that her faith really was only built on her heritage. She -hmm. went to church because her parents went to church and- Church girl. She admitted that she'd never really been interested in the Bible or the Bible studies, and she found Sundays boring. So she decided no longer to go to church. Right. And it didn't help that her mom was pushing the social life. I think her dad was a little more devout from what I understand. He was. But, he, but she was just a churchy woman, and so she raised a churchy daughter. That's right. Yeah. And so even though Isabel never smoked and she never drank right. liquor. She was moral. She mm-hmm. was moral, but she got really into the social life of college. She was a really great dancer, went to all mm-hmm. the parties, any party. She was there. Then her junior year, she met and fell in love with a young man named Ben, and he just returned mm-hmm. from World War I. And by Isabel's senior year, they were engaged and had plans to marry soon. But some of <sighs> Isabel's friends came to her and told her that Ben was dating all these other girls. So she went to Ben, who wasn't a Christian, remember? Because nope. yeah. Isabel's thinking she can live life without God. Yep. And she said to Ben, I heard you're dating other girls. How can we get married if you're dating other girls? And he said, you didn't expect me to be faithful to just you, did you, after we got married? No, I'm going to have Such all the a, women uh, I want after we get married. It doesn't mean I don't love you. I love you, but I have to have a lot of women. 
Such and, a schmo. He's, oh, I know. He's so. <laughs> so she was heartbroken, but yeah. she couldn't get over it. She was so mm. depressed. In fact, she was even suicidal. She saw a mm. bottle of pills mm. and she thought about taking all of them. But then her father's face flashed before her. Yeah. And her father did love Jesus. And he yes. said to Isabel at this time, Isabel, why don't you just try praying? Just mm. open up the conversation with God. And so she began to pray. In fact, she even prayed, God, if there be a God, if you will prove to me that you are and give me peace, I will give you my whole life. Do anything mm-hmm. you ask. Go anywhere you send me. And for three months, she just prayed. And mm-hmm. she began to apply herself to spiritual study. Mm-hmm. You know, she went to church. She started listening. And a man came up to her and said, I've been praying for you for seven years. And mm-hmm. she realized that, you know, that seven years was so important because that's when an earlier crisis of faith had begun. Mm-hmm. And he had been praying her through these times. Time, yeah. So after she graduated from college, she began to teach third grade in a public school. And guess what? She hated it. She absolutely hated it. Um, At the same time, she began to attend lectures at the Vancouver Bible School. Then she hears about this teacher's convention in Seattle, and she Mm -hmm. thinks, I'm going to go to that because I'm miserable teaching. Maybe it'll help me be a better teacher, enjoy it more. Was that the FERS? Was it that conference? No, this is is like just a secular one. Gotcha, gotcha. But this leads to Mm -hmm. that place. So her father makes arrangements for her to stay with some family friends called Mm -hmm. the Whipples. Best last name ever. I know. So she goes down to stay with the Whipples, and she's kind of a little like, why does my dad always have to do this? And she goes down there. And Mrs. Whipple, from the time she said, yes, Isabel can stay with us, started praying for Isabel. Mm. And then when she met Isabel, she couldn't sleep at night. So she gets up and she prays all night for Isabel and says, Lord, there's something with this young woman. I don't know what it is, Mm. but show me how Mm. I can be an inspiration. What do you want me to speak into her life? And so she pulls her aside and she says, Isabel, have you ever read Ephesians 2.10? Mm-hmm. You're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God already planned that you should walk in. And Isabel didn't really know the scriptures. And so she said, no. And she said, well, mm-hmm. God has a plan for you. Mm-hmm. You're just not on your own trying to please God. God actually has a plan and a will for your life, and they're good. And he's already planned it all out. This actually got Isabel so excited. She loved this idea. So great. Now, here's something, just a side note. When Hudson Taylor's biography was published, Mm. the two volumes, Mm -hmm. Mrs. Whipple was one of the first people to buy those two volumes. Yes. And this other lady, her name was Mrs. Stott, was taking it door to door, selling it. And this is in Washington. Mrs. Whipple bought one of these volumes and- and was in her house, and Isabel then was perusing, oh, I looking, love it. looking through so many this. Wonderful, godly people come from Washington. I yes. just want to say, <laughs> like even Jasmine. Yeah, Hall. how about that? <laughs> yes. So while in Seattle, Isabel was invited to the first. There we go at Lake Whatcom. So this right. is near yes. Bellingham, Washington. Yeah, yeah. So in 1923, the lady who spoke was Edna Whipple Gish. No relation to Mrs. Whipple. Wow, how many Whipples were there? There are a lot of Whipples in Washington. (laughs) Whipples in Washington. Washington. (laughs) And so she was a missionary who was widowed while she was serving in China. But she spoke about the work there. Mm. And Isabel was so impressed by Edna's daily communion with God and holy habits that she decided that she wanted to develop those same habits. 
So she started having devotions and reading the Bible mm. and really spending time with God. Now, up to this point, she had not yet given up her more secular habits. She was still going to parties, still playing games, <laughs> um, card games. Oh, yes. These were taking up most of her time in the dances. And she never, like, said, I'm giving up cards. I'm giving up the dances. Right. It's just the more she devoted herself to the Lord, mm. the less and less she had time for the other things and the less and less interest she mm. had in those things. Mm-hmm. So by July of 1924, she couldn't wait to go to the next conference at the Furs. Mm. And that summer, Isabel worked as a waitress in the kitchen at the conference, but she also was chosen to teach the high school girls Bible study. And she led them in song because Isabel played the guitar. I did not know that. Isn't that amazing? That's fun. So there for the first time, she heard someone we both love, mm. J.O. Frazier. Yes. <laughs> and he spoke about the Lisu people. And from the time mm. she heard about these Lisu people in China, yeah. she wanted to go there. Listen to this. Mm. Never did the vision of the Lisu tribe leave me. I dared not name this experience a call, but I believe that time has proved that it was. Mm. And she learned also from J.O. Frazier to employ prayer as a weapon. So she wanted to go to these mm. people. And she knew that the China Inland Mission would require that she first go to Bible school. And that would be Moody Bible College, but she didn't have any money. And at the same time, her father was having financial difficulties and her mother didn't want her to go. So there was no support there. (laughs) But there was another woman, Marjorie Harrison, who had wanted to go to China and she had signed up for the China Inland Mission. She had saved all her money. So she had all four years tuition and found out she couldn't go. There's Mm. something I can't remember if it was a health issue or a family issue, Mm. but she couldn't go. So she said, Lord, who should this money go to? Marjorie wow. Harrison had never even met Isabel, but she heard about her. And so she got in contact with her and paid all four years tuition. How amazing. What, and how neat that she didn't get bitter about her own loss, no. but sought a way to, you know, bless somebody is else. That's incredible. That's and, you know, nobody knows who Marjorie Harrison is. Yeah. But look, I mean, think about how rich her heavenly yes, reward was. The fruit. Absolutely. So Isabel... And was at Moody Bible, and she was working in the dining room as a waitress. <laughs> and there was a student who was actually four years her junior, mm-hmm. but he was ahead of her at Moody Bible College, and his name was John Kuhn. And he mm-hmm. was working as the dishwasher in the kitchen. And she was a waitress, so she's in the kitchen waiting for her plate of food, and she didn't see that John was kind of leaning against the sink, relaxing, and accidentally put his foot out. She tripped over it, <laughs> and they both tumbled down. <laughs> And when they looked at each other, both of them knew. They both knew. Now, they didn't but, meet yeah, they, for three months, <laughs> but they knew. So From funny. that moment forward, John knew and Isabel knew. Three months later, they were introduced and began to court. But I, And I love her story, like leading up to that, how one of my favorite things about Isabel is how transparent she is in yes. her writings. And when you read yes. her book about their story, To Whom God Has Joined. Whom God Has Joined, the, I love that. Yeah, when you read that part and she talks about how I was aware of the dishwasher, but I tried not to be aware of his presence. I was focused on God. And she just... And she called trying. him blue eyes. Oh, yes. Blue it's eyes. so cute. They just, yes. you know, trying not to... <laughs> yes. But she had a fleece him. about John. John then graduated. He goes to the mission field and they, they kind of broke up. Right. Because she wanted to make sure that she mm-hmm. was giving all to the Lord. And yes. if he wasn't called to the Lisu, yeah. then he wasn't the one for her. Because right. she just knew she was called to the Lisu people. So he's in China and he's working and they start writing letters and he's called to the Yunnan 
province, which is where the Lisu are. Mm -hmm. And she just knows that's the Lord. So she says, yes. And the letters fly back and forth. And by the time um, she gets on the ship, she's wearing his wedding ring. (laughs) But before that, there was lots of spiritual warfare against her going to China. In 1927, when John went, right after that, there was anti-foreign uprising, the Boxer Rebellion, where they thought the Westerners were trying to take over. So they they closed all the doors to China, and John was there, but she couldn't get in. So just their letters passed back and forth. Also, her brother Murray, her older brother, had just returned from World War I, and he was not doing well emotionally. They didn't call it PTSD then, but yeah, that seems to be what he yeah. was suffering yeah. from, and he couldn't work. So the mother and father were really working to bring him back to health. The father was involved in this lawsuit having to do with the company, mm-hmm. and all their assets were frozen, so they couldn't get to any of their money. And the mother said, you will go to China yep. over my dead body. So Isabel's like, Lord, is this you? When my mother's against it, and I want to honor my mother and father, her father spoke to her privately and said, Isabel, go to China. I wanted to go to China. Yeah. And that's when she found out about how he had felt called. And mm. he felt that if she went to China, he was still fulfilling his vow to the Lord. So that's really sweet. So sweet, yeah. So the father's lawsuit would be decided on the same day, October 11th, 1928, on the same day that her boat was supposed to leave for China. Now, her boat was supposed to leave at 2.30. <laughs> and at 10.30, she got a telegram from her father that he had won the lawsuit, been totally exonerated. Wow. And they were going to be all right. So Man, Isabel never timing. saw her mother again. In fact, her mother died within months of Isabel leaving. She had an operation mm. and she didn't come out of that operation. She died during the operation. But a friend wrote to Isabel and said, I think you need to know this, Mm -hmm. that her mother had said before she died, I feel that my little girl has chosen the better part in wishing to devote all her life to the Lord. Mm -hmm. And that became such a comfort. So sweet. Yeah. So she lands in China and they go to the Kunming, the capital of the Yunnan province, and they're married on November 4th, 1929. And this was really, it had been a few years. I mean, this whole process and just waiting on the Lord for the right timing. Yeah, and by open this doors. time, she's 28 years old. Right, right. And so she she applied back. for all of this, I think, when she was 24. And, yeah, you know, so it had been at least, yeah, four years. Yeah. So before leaving to go serve in their station, which is, uh, it looks like Cheng Cheng. <laughs> I have no idea how you say it. Before leaving, <laughs> D Host, who is head of Christian Inland Mission, said to her, something that began to haunt her. Mm. He said, Miss Miller, this is right before she got married, if I had a beautiful bedspread, I would throw it in the river. And she thought, why is he saying that to me? Does he know I have a beautiful bedspread? What is the issue here? But after settling into the two rooms that they had in Ching Cheng, in this house, they lived with all these other people, she set about into making it a home. Now, first of all, there were no windows in this house. There were only these doors that rolled back. And if you rolled open these doors, everyone could see into the house. So there was no privacy. So in that part of China, they didn't leave in privacy. So the culture thought if you're trying to get privacy, you're trying to do something evil. Yeah. You're plotting against us. Totally. Why can't we see you? And so they wanted to see them at all times. And they would always find people just staring in at them. Well, and I remember one story where it said that she woke up one morning and a Chinese woman was just standing there talking to her. As it, I mean, can you imagine the minute you wake up? Like, oh, you know. <laughs> so Isabel brought, um, bought some furniture. She bought a really nice rug. 
And she took some of the specialties from home, her bedspread, Mm -hmm. and she had this beautiful crimson scarf, and she set up a trunk, and she put it over it, and she just made this one room just look so inviting and cozy. And Mm -hmm. she invited all these Chinese women in. And this one woman blew her nose in her hand and then wiped it on the scarf. Oh, my gosh. Another held up her little boy who was urinating, and he urinated all over the (laughs) rug. And I mean, it was just like when these women left, the room was like filthy. And she's like, okay, now I understand what DE host was saying. Don't put material things over the cost of a soul. Yeah. Put the people first and what they're going through. Oh, wow. And so that's what she realized through all of that. We'll have to link that later with that Amy Carmichael story about the gloves. Oh, yes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So Isabel has stories of this time that she relates in her books, but they were transferred uh, closer to the Lisu people after two years. Now, travel in those days was by coolie and by mule. Mm -hmm. So they would put their stuff on the mule and then they hunt these men that were coolies. And you know what that is? They would have like, what would you call it? Like a makeshift hammock that a person would sit in. Right. Right. Yeah. And. So Isabel was carried most of the time, but John, who was four years younger, kept insisting that she get out and walk. And he wanted her to walk. But one thing I really enjoyed about Isabel and John is they loved the way China looked. They loved the landscape. They loved the ravines. They just saw all the beauty. And Mm. she talks all about the beauty, not about the hardship, but about the beauty. And so they got to the station in Tali, and that's where their first child, Catherine, was born on April 10th, 1931. Mm -hmm. So by this time, they've been serving together for two years. But her Chinese name was Hong Ying, meaning vast grace, which I think is so sweet. Yeah. So though the accommodations and travel were so hard, even giving birth, not at a hospital, but Mm -hmm. she decided to do it at the mission station. And God sent her a nurse from CIM who took great care of her. She never went to a doctor the whole time she was pregnant. Yet she accepted everything with joy. She wrote missionary letters filled with descriptions and what the Lord was doing. And those letters have turned into many of her books, Mm -hmm. Second Mile People, The Earth and Jar, Whom God Has Joined. So that's where you find most of these stories. After two years, it was time to move westward, and it was the vision of J.O. Frazier that the CI missionaries should stay only on a base until the people, the Chinese people themselves, were raised up and established in the Lord and His Word, and then they were to give it over. The Coons moved to a place called Yangping, I think I'm just butchering these words, <laughs> which was a mo- had all a Muslim population. The townspeople accepted them at first, had this great big parade with all these fireworks, But when John Kuhn shared with them the danger of worshiping their ancestors, they turned against them. Mm. And so they they suffered quite a bit of persecution there. But several peasant women were led to the Lord. And one of those women became a Bible teacher when the communism, uh, when communism took over the country. So those people that, you know, they began to raise up. Right. You know, so during this time, a young girl called Little Pearl came to live with them along with her mother. Now, her mother turned out to be just a terrible, terrible person. Mm. And she ended up abandoning Little Pearl. But Little Pearl accepted the Lord and became one of the leaders in the church in China. Her story is written in Nests Above the Abyss, and Uh, which was, I think, the second or third book that she wrote. In December of 1934, they made plans to move to Lisu Land, which a place called Oak Flat. And they said about belting a shanty. And that was like a bamboo house built on stilts with water that ran through bamboo pipes to them. 
And there they stayed for 16 months. They named their house Home of Grace. Mm -hmm. But in 1936, they took their first furlough. They docked in Vancouver where a father and brother and friends were waiting to greet them. They also attended the first conference in Bellingham, Washington. And they were among the featured speakers. They went from there to Pennsylvania um, to meet his family. And when they went back, she had been writing all of these letters home, but they didn't have enough money to write a whole bunch of, you know, send these letters to all these people. So they prayed. And during this furlough, they met two people who said, we'll distribute the the letters that you're writing. Mm -hmm. So they distributed to over 1,700 people and they weren't so interested in the money or support. They just wanted the story told. Yes. And so before she went back, they felt like they had to put Catherine in school. So they put Catherine in Chifu school. There's so much I could say about Chifu. Mm-hmm. There's a really great book called The Boys' yep, War. Boys, Boys War, War, that's your favorite. <laughs> but she, their daughter, Catherine, was interned with the man who wrote A Boys' War mm-hmm. in Chifu school. So when Catherine was sent to Chifu school, Isabel had no idea that she wouldn't see her own daughter for six years because yeah. right about now, yeah. World War II happens. Yep. And they're up in the hills of Lisu land. And they keep getting these threats that the Japanese are coming. And if the Japanese come, they'll be arrested. They'll be thrown into prison. Mm-hmm. But they they keep ministering the entire time. They ignore all of those reports. Mm. And they stay there and they start what's called the Rainy Season Bible School, yes. where they begin to raise up these young women to teach the Bible. And, you know, John teaches the men, she teaches the women. But since we're dealing with women... We're talking about yes, the women. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, they decide the powers that be that they have to evacuate them because it's World War II. And so they come back to America. They stay in America. Mm-hmm. And by this time, they have a little boy, John. And she's in her 50s and she's thinking, yeah. I'm really too old to go back. But her husband says, Nope, there are more Lisu. <laughs> China's closed because of communism, but we can still minister to the Lisu, but we have to go through Burma mm-hmm. or Thailand mm-hmm. up into the hills. Which means learning a go getter, man. Right. (laughs) Learning a new language. They have to learn Burmese. This is a hard decision because this meant she had to leave her son John behind. But she goes with him, and the people that they're ministering to are really into the opium traffic and worshiping demons. They smoke opium, they grow it, they smuggle it. Mm. And it's like a hard, hard place. And as she's ministering, but the Lord begins to give them success again. But as she's ministering, this branch hits her on the breast and the pain was unusually sharp. Right. And then she experiences more pain. They have an x-ray. She's told it's an x-ray, which her father. Yes. Wow. She has circle. an x-ray. They see a tumor. They conclude mm. that it's not cancerous. They do a second test. It is cancerous. Mm. She goes back to the States on November 14th, 1954. She moves to Wheaton. Her son, Danny, mm-hmm. moves back with her. And during this time, she writes three and a half more books until her death in March 20th, 1957. So mm. I just want to say a couple of things that stood out to me was yeah. her life of prayer. Yeah. It is said it is probably her prayer life that stands out in most people's memories of Isabel, a disciplined prayer life that trained her for immediate access to the king at any time. And they were saying that she and John would just start going into prayer. They yep. could be walking across the room and they would just start praying. That's something that I think they learned from D. Host. Mm. She kept a daily journal and was always writing. She did whatever it took to have private devotion time with the Lord every day. And I think of all the sacrifices. Here she's yeah. born to privilege and highly educated, but she lives without electricity. Mm-hmm. At one point, they mm-hmm. lived on rice and bean curd for months, no yeah. vegetables. Yeah. She lived without privacy. She lived without running water. 
She traveled by mule, coolie, train, ship, plane, bus, and her feet, and on the back of trucks. But comfort was not an issue for Isabel. She was often sick, but always going forward. And she took this Mm. theme that she got from Amy Carmichael, climb or die. So I have so many quotes. Oh, man. I don't have time to. She has so many. Just really quickly, though, one thing I do love, like I said, was her transparency. All those trials she went through, she walks you with her through them and how I didn't want to touch that dirty person. I didn't want to do all this. But how the Lord just empowered and enabled her to see them through his eyes. It's just beautiful. And it's an amazing story. And I wish I could get to. We're out of time. Because I want to do all these incredible quotes. Uh, I went fast, but I didn't make it. (laughs) So, But among her favorite reading was Amy Carmichael, Ruth Paxton, and Oswald Mm, Chambers. So she carried those books with her wherever she was. She loved Amy Carmichael. (laughs) So anyway, Isabel Kuhn is definitely a woman you should know. Mm. Her books are out there. You can buy them on Amazon. So we'll be back next time with more women you should know. Yay. Bye. Thank you for listening to Women You Should Know with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter or Facebook. If you have a woman we should know about, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at WYSK at CCCM.com. Make sure you've subscribed to this podcast available now on any streaming service. Thank you again for listening to Women You Should Know with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut.